Hello, welcome to Fave This, a podcast about fandom and internet culture, and also video games. I am Gita Jackson, and I am joined by... Hey, it's Patricia Hernandez. Hell yeah, it's Patricia Hernandez. (laughs) (laughs) So, Patricia, the first thing we're going to talk about today is something that I think is very important to us that happened right after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. There was a new Cloverfield movie that literally released the second the Super Bowl was over. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't watch the Super Bowl, but I like was tuning in to find out when the movie was going to drop because I really liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. I never watched the first one, but I really loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. So I was like, I need to know what this is about. And also because like Ava DuVernay was like talking about it on Twitter and she was like hyping it up. And I was like, I got to watch this. It's going to be good. Yeah. I and then, um... it wasn't good. But sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I watched the first Cloverfield movie in theaters. I got really into the ARG and everything. Mm-hmm. It is just exactly my shit. Mm-hmm. Like one of those things where every, well, I think 10 Cloverfield Lane is legitimately good. But the first one is like a lot of good ideas and then a big mess, sort of like most of J.J. Abrams' work. Uh, and then this most recent one was just like a huge, awful mess, but I also loved it. 10 Cloverfield Lane was not originally in the Cloverfield oeuvre and then got added later and you can kind of tell but like i can't also can't tell if that's the case for the latest movie too but before we start talking about that i never watched the first one but i did kind of consume a lot of the arg stuff and i feel like i'm weird because i did the exact same thing with the the blair witch project where i didn't watch the movie but i like consumed everything related to it like i was reading like books i was like reading online i was like trying to mind i was like a kid when this was happening so forgive me for being naive but i was like trying to figure out if it was real or not and like the the (laughs) that tension of like yeah they're trying to make it look real but it might not be real was really intriguing to me at the time and so like this kind of carries a lot of similar elements where a lot of it yes there are the movies but you can also kind of go online and there's like ARG stuff. There are websites that kind of tell the larger stories that people try to like piece together to like put like a timeline of like when things happen. And I think that's a big part of the appeal for me, like the mystery aspect of it. Yeah. I also was into that. I I mean, I like the Cloverfield movies because so much is unexplained also. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the ARG stuff is fun because it explains just enough without giving any definitive answers, but Mm -hmm. it ties you into other human dramas. Um, What I really liked about the Fritz Cloverfield movie was that it was about a sort of shitty, privileged New Yorkers and them having to deal with a huge tragedy they can't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, do you want to just quickly tell people what the first Briefly breeze through the plots of the three Cloverfield movies, which I have seen all of them. Uh, So the first one is a found footage film. it's like a kaiju movie where a giant monster attacks New York. It was famous for having a trailer before the first Transformers movie that did not have the name of the film attached to it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was its big draw. The first time I heard about so that, So this series I got... has always been kind of tied up with, like, marketing gimmicks. Yes. Yeah, I remember watching a shaky phone video of that trailer on YouTube when it first came out. And everybody wanted to know what the fuck it was because all it was was like sort of a hand, you know, 
it's handy cam footage, but it looks like a video camera um, of people out in the street of New York looking around. There's alarms blaring everywhere, and you hear an enormous roar, and then you see the head of the Statue of Liberty comes so like coming down in front of you. Mm-hmm. And then it was just cut to black date that the film comes out. Huh. And there was no title. And that was pretty fucking dope. Um, the movie itself, a lot of people thought it had too much of the shitty New Yorkers and not enough of the monster. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the perfect balance, honestly, and also had Lizzie Kaplan in it, so not mad about that. So are you like kind of like a kaiju aficionado? Because like my, imp- I'm not. And my impression is that uh, those movies can focus a lot on the monster, but that like some people believe that like the best kaiju movie isn't really about the monster at all. It's like about the humans. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself an aficionado. I do have a fascination with sort of the cultural impact of Godzilla, um, mm-hmm. just both to Japan and to America, um, because it's so transparently about the nuclear bomb. Um and I do sort of believe that the best kaiju movies are like those uh, the original Godzilla movies, which are about tragedy and mm-hmm. sort of like an ununderstandable thing causing tragedy. Uh, and the kaiju is a stand-in for something you can't, human beings can't understand. Yeah, that's always been really evocative. Like you look at something like Attack on Titan, and mm-hmm. that's really the reason that I like the series. It's because these these big ass monsters killing everyone and no one understands why. Yeah. Like why are they eating people? Like why is but just the mystery aspect of it. Yeah. Like but then again you look at something like nature and it's like, well you can't really explain <laughs> yeah. why things like well, I guess you, you can see those, because, like, those fucked up fish that lived like way deep in the sea. You can explain that, but you still can't explain that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I I mean I feel like you look at the most recent American Godzilla movie, and it's absolutely about our sort of America's. Wait, which one? Up. Just Godzilla? Uh, yeah, just Godzilla. I it guess was, I haven't watched it. I, when really you say good. the most recent Godzilla movie, I think of Pacific Rim, even though that's like not <laughs> technically a. Well, yeah. well, that is about environmentalism, really, yeah. and also uh, unity and love and like working mm-hmm. together. Uh, and then the American Godzilla one is about sort of. Uh, American military interventionalism and also the way that the military industrial complex it fucks with nature in unpredictable ways. The original Japanese Godzilla is about the bomb. Uh, the most recent Japanese Godzilla is about the way that Japanese people solve problems. That's very, huh. it's a weird ensemble piece. It's d- directed by, I think, Hideako Anno, who was the director of Evangelion. Hmm. I, I please don't write in. Actually, don't write in if I'm wrong, because I will just look it up after the podcast. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's true. And it's so bizarre. It's a really weird movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like an ensemble piece. There's no clear star. You're just watching like a series of Japanese committee members make action, like itemized action plans mm-hmm. to stop Godzilla from destroying Tokyo. See, I, find, I think that's really interesting, too, because a lot of persona or not persona smt games deal a lot with like you're in the post-apocalypse and you're well that's not always the aim of the game but at least when i'm playing i'm like trying to figure out what it was that caused the world to become that way and often uh the police force or whatever was trying to put things in order is still an entity even Mm -hmm. in the post-apocalypse yeah um and it's always like this storyline where it's like do you want to go with order even though they're trying to like suppress that this happened and it's like there's all what i'm saying is uh the japanese media that i've consumed at least has an interesting fascination with like how the government deals with tragedy specifically 
I mean, you definitely see that in the most recent Persona. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely in the SMT games. Uh, if you look at crime dramas also, there's a fascination with how the, how the police operate. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the new Godzilla movie is just about how the Japanese government operates. And it's No, I, I really want to watch it. Oh, but it's, do you, I mean, would you say it's good? I think Should it's I watch it? Should good, I watch it? But it's unlike any kaiju movie I've ever seen. Because, it, like, do you like watching a bunch of people in boardrooms making lists? Because I do. <laughs> and that's what a lot of this movie is. Okay, okay. So, okay, so that was the, the first yeah. movie. It was a lot about New Yorkers being New Yorkers. I mean, it's about 9-11. Like, we can just yeah. say, like, it's, it's it's a 9-11 movie. Okay. And, and the second one is a paranoia thriller. Like, it's a... Uh, Mary, it's it's not a kaiju movie. It is not a kaiju movie. They're all in different genres. This one is not a found footage movie either. It uh, stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John. It's really fucking. They're both really good. John Goodman, it. who are acting their little hearts out. They're amazing. Did this movie win in an awards? Because I feel like it should have. It, was I, it wasn't. I, no. These kinds of movies aren't nominated for anything. So okay. it wasn't going to happen. It was not in the cards. There was some talk actually about John Goodman maybe getting a supporting actor or not, but it didn't happen. Mm. Um. And Mary Elizabeth Winsett, she gets in a car crash. She wakes up in a bunker. John Goodman tells her the air has been poisoned by some kind of catastrophic event and she's not to go outside. He won't even really let her look outside. So she doesn't really know what's true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, this but, guy is just extremely controlling. Like that's yeah. what makes the paranoia. And, and it's not just her. There's this other guy, right, that I can't remember the circumstances of how all three of them end up in that bunker. Yeah. But they're all very tightly controlled by uh, the John Goodman character who like dictates kind of like where they sleep, what they can eat, when they do things yeah. or something like that. And there's a little bit of a flirtation between Mary Elizabeth Winston and this guy. And it's not even serious. It's like maybe we'll have sex to get the tension off. And he is violently opposed to this. Like her having any kind of sexual relationship with anyone. It's really terrifying. So that's when it turns from like, uh, you know, this guy is a little weird to like, oh, my God, is this guy going to murder us? I'm sorry yeah. that we're like spoiling this movie if you haven't watched it. But like, oh, well, if you watch the trailer, you sort of know what's up. I know that people say trailers are full of spoilers. But honestly, it it that driving tension is the heart of this movie. And it's very well depicted, mm-hmm. I think. So I'm going to continue spoiling that movie. Yes. So please go forward like a minute or two if if you haven't watched it. But we'll put the timestamps in the post on Kotaku. Sure. And yeah. then okay, so the movie ends with her leaving, and that entire time you think this guy has lost it. Like this is clearly not happening. And then she goes outside, and it turns out that there is some shit. Ha- there's like some weird alien yeah. stuff, like just flying around, killing things. So you're like, what the? Hell? So this guy was not just. I mean, he still he still went too far in yeah. in all of what he did, but the, like the point is that like he even if he was right, he was still wrong. Right. Yeah, and it's sort of it's really cool that they went that way instead of having him been just a like, weird para- paranoid controlling guy. So before we get to the third movie, uh, which we also have a lot to say about, uh, one of the things that I found interesting about the first two movies, which ties into the the um, third movie, is that. They kind of explain. So at the end of the first movie, people caught that there's like 
in the last scene, there's something that falls into the ocean. Yeah. And so, like, no one knew what that was or what that meant for literally years because J.J. Abrams wouldn't tell anyone. But I think you told me that he had already planned, like, multiple... He said that he had him and his team, massive air quotes around team, mm-hmm. um, already wrote out a timeline of the Clipperfield universe. Who knows if they're still using this over a decade later, mm-hmm. but that's what he said. Right. And so in this, uh, the second movie, uh, it people have figured out, or this is one of the theories, I don't know if it's like official, that the guy who's in the bunker must have worked at the place that like uncovered the the first kaiju in the first movie so he's like related in that way so then you get to the third movie and you find out what the thing that fell into the ocean was by the, by the end of it i am so not a prequel person mm-hmm. the cloverfield was the only series that could have tricked me into watching a prequel <laughs> well i didn't know this was a prequel either until i was i was nobody the knew they fucking had a tra- one trailer during netflix the uh the super bowl. super bowl and then suddenly it was on netflix i didn't yeah. even have time to google it <laughs> right okay so now we're now we can start talking about the third movie can oh you want to tell people the what third it's movie about? is massively dumb it's uh the m- the most important thing you need to know is how personally targeted i felt about the cast but do you want to tell people what the premises man they're in space and they're trying to solve the energy crisis with a extremely large particle accelerator except it opens up alternate universes and they almost all die uh and then in the last minute or so of the movie you find out that what spoilers spoilers what had fallen into the fallen into the ocean on that last shot was oh, the, the first movie? Oh, the first movie was that shut the escape pod from the space station. Mm-hmm. I am not wholly convinced that this was a planned prequel. Yeah, I but... mean, I, I read some criticism that people were like, "I think this was just like reshot, or like they just added those scenes to make it make them connect." But like, whatever the case, uh, I s- the movie started out seeming like it could potentially be good because I think the premise of it was like. You know, when multiple timelines open. Multiple timelines. And, but, but that are existing at the same time. So shit can just get weird. Like, yeah. Um, and shit it's... did get weird. So, like, one of the first things that happens is, like, you know, the worms in the spaceship disappear and then they reappear in, inside of the body of this one dude. Or, yeah. they find this woman who didn't exist before they turn this on, who's suddenly just, like, in the middle of the ship in, like, in her mind, she's always existed because she's in the other, yeah. she was in the other timeline. And, and they she's, all like, embedded other. into the wall. Like, there are electrical cables are going through her leg. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very intense. And there's a bunch of really fun effects and a bunch of the weird shit that all happens. That's always fun to watch. It's just a very stupid movie. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> when, you, so dumb. when you think about it, none of it makes it. So there's this one part where uh, someone's arm gets cut off and then the arm suddenly starts moving on its own and writes messages to the team. But it's never explained, like, even if there are multiple universes, like, why can why did this yeah. arm have a mind of its own? Like, in the other universe, the arm wasn't alive. But Yeah, I, it doesn't make any sense. Just doesn't straight up make any sense. And then he tells them to cut open a character who's died and where they'll find the gyroscope. But how would it know that? Ship. How would it know that? Nobody knows. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, all. I get that on some level, uh, it the idea is that like anything could happen, right? Like yeah. suddenly you're metallic and the walls are it's eating. It's an excuse you. to but, do like, weird shit. But I feel like even within that internal logic, it doesn't continue to follow its own internal logic. So there's this guy again with the metal example who is suddenly getting sucked in by the walls. 
but it only happens at certain times. And then they try to play up like, you know, he's like, he can't avoid it. Like it's going to eat him. But like, how come it's not doing that the entire time? Like, why does it only yeah. want to eat him? Like, doesn't. There's no explanation. It's not even there's no explanation in an intriguing way. It's just literally there's no explanation. Mm -hmm. Shit just happens in this mm -hmm. movie. S events just occur. And there's no through line up for the entire movie, really. It's just like when it decides that something scary is going to happen. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it means that the walls are coming apart and just like doing all this weird shit. It's yeah. like. It wants to be alien. It wants to be the thing. But it's just I heard not. a lot of co comparisons to Event Horizon, which I have not I've watched. I have not seen Event Horizon, no. Where it, it's kind of like a similar premise where the, all sorts of horrifying shit happens on a, on a derelict ship. But uh, sounds cool. So okay, so we've been dunking this movie, but I'll be honest, I still kind of really I liked watch it, it again. Like I was thinking, man, I'd love to watch this the next time I do laundry. That sounds great. <laughs> I, okay, so the, the cast thing, like when I saw the cast, I like completely lost my mind. It's Gugu and Batha Ray Rob from uh uh that dark, that Black Mirror episode uh about the lesbians in oh, love. Okay. Yeah. Oh shit. Oh. That's her. I okay, I was like I recognize her but I wasn't episode? sure. San Junipero? Yeah, San Junipero. That's her. She is the the, the oh lead the love interest in the episode. That. Okay, okay. And then it's Daniel Bruhl who you might know as Agent Zemo from the most uh recent Captain America movie but has also been in a bunch of really cool weird German movies that I really like. Uh, and he wears glasses, which mm -hmm. is feels Important. like it just feels like they're targeting me specifically. Um, and then there's Zhang Zi, which I don't know. I was thinking like maybe last week, man, I wonder what she's doing. And then she shows up in this movie. What, what else is she in? She is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She hasn't made a movie in English in a very long time. Mm -hmm. I love the workaround they did where uh, everyone also just speaks Mandarin Chinese. It's implied. And so they speak English to her and she responds in Mandarin, which yeah. is great. <laughs> uh, Chris O'Dowd also in it. He's very funny. And Daniel Oyelowo, which I, he's a great actor. Mm -hmm. uh, utterly wasted, but he's a great actor. Mm -hmm. No one really is. Uh, you can see how little everyone gives a shit about this movie while they're acting in it. Except no maybe one, Chris O'Dowd. But yeah, no one really has much of a personality or like motivations. Uh, it's like <laughs> a lot of cliches. Yeah, there's an angsty Russian who hates the the uh, the sad German that played by Daniel Bruhl. Uh, Gugu plays a doctor who's sad because she lost her children. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you learn that in, like the first couple of minutes, really. And it's just like one of those so annoying things where like anything could be her motivations. Anything could be her motivation. But they landed on she wants to be her mom. Which, you know what? That's fine. But I feel like when, at the time comes when she has to make the big moral choice. I'm like, are you like, have you lost it? Like why you realize everyone's telling you that there's another you down there. Like how could you think that you're going to go down there and suddenly your kids have two mom? Yeah. Like what? How do you think meeting yourself in an alternate universe is not going to destroy the fabric? Would of you do it? Absolutely Would not. <laughs> no. See, I hope my alternate I'd... self is also wise enough to not meet me. See, I would be curious and I don't know to what degree, like, all the stuff about, like, if you meet yourself in another timeline, it's just, like, fucking sci-fi mumbo-jumbo of, like, like trying to make, like, a uh, drama out of, like, movies that use uh, time travel or whatever. I don't know that I would do it in this in a situation where I've, like, lost someone and think that suddenly, like, reappearing is, like, I'm I'm going to, like, somehow bridge that gap. Yeah. But I, I would be interested in, in seeing how I would react to me. 
I would love myself. to, I guess, meet an alternate version of me, but I would like, just send me a letter. Like, I don't need to meet you face to face. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I feel like you... But the, you wouldn't believe... So in the movie, she does send, like, a voicemail to herself. Yeah. I feel like if that happened to me, I would think someone was pranking me. I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> just getting pranked by yourself. I would prank myself. I feel like that's something I would do. I would absolutely <laughs> punk myself. Um, so, like, now I feel like I have to come up with some sort of phrase if, like, I ever am in a situation where I'm going to meet my, where, like, I have to communicate with myself from the future or the past. The dog I'm- rises at midnight. It's Patricia, <laughs> hello. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the Cloverfield Paradox isn't good, but this is the kind of fan service that I actually like. Mm-hmm. It is just a dumb science fiction romp with a bunch of really attractive actors. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. You know, it's a nice time. I think, for me, it's also just the ARG stuff. Like, even though I think the connections to the other movies are so slight, having to sit down and figure out, like, oh, okay, well, this scene implies this, and this website says this. That I I don't know what it is about that yeah. stuff that I went just and kind looked, of sucks me in. I looked at all the old ARG stuff after the movie ended. Actually, like I immediately started googling all those old websites and there. I think there are new websites now too. Oh my god, there are new websites. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> Between this and the upcoming No Man's Sky ARG, I'm gonna just never get offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is. I think it's just uh, like trying. That Halo ARG, I Love Bees. I never participated in it, but I know it's like the most famous. It was ga- really gaming cool. ARG. It was super cool. And like now, I think there's a certain art to it because so many things want to try to do it. Where yeah. it's like, look at this secret website. It leads you to blah and blah and blah. But it's so difficult to actually get right. And I think J.J. Abrams in particular, or his team, whoever is slapping his name on things. Uh, does a lot of experiments with like form I, he mm-hmm. wrote a book uh where it's like this you're it's so it's it's an actual book but like the story is actually uh these things that people are writing in the margins and they're writing letters to each other and oh, they're cool. like and they're like embedding different things so like there's like a map in in the middle of the book or like this this post-it note and just all these different things that you like kind of have to like figure out like what the story is and like how it relates to each other and so i've always kind of been fascinated with the way that he will tell stories even though he's also known for like making like the most like i don't know cookie cutters like boring ass I mean, my problem with J.B. Abrams is not, I mean, his, the lens flare thing is very tiresome. Um, But my problem with J.J. Abrams is always that he has really good ideas for hooks and then absolutely no follow through. Just like his best stuff are like the pilot from Lost, where he just comes in, drops an amazing hook, and then leaves. And like Lost, I don't think is a perfect product as a television show, because they didn't, they never lived up to the promise of that big hook in that first episode. Mm -hmm. But man, did that lead to some really exciting television. Some Mm -hmm. very good episodes of television came because J.J. Abrams just came, dropped one good idea, and then left. Mm-hmm. When you put him in charge of a project like Star so Trek. he might be like one of the or only examples of like, because you know how people are like, you can't just be an idea person. Like, that's not a job. I guess J.J. Abrams proves everyone wrong. Yeah. I mean, I know he probably has other talents other than just coming up with shit. But I like, mean, he can shoot a movie. I sometimes think about how difficult it is to be a director on a movie. That must mm-hmm. be a time-consuming and frustrating thing to do. 
So that's impressive. It's just that his initial hook ideas are always better than his actual like full conception. Mm -hmm. So he needs to come up with something and then someone else needs to do it. Yeah. I mean, whenever he's working, when he, on the first Cloverfield, he was working with, uh, I think, Damon Lindelof from Lost. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, it ended up, I think, you can see what parts of the movie are very Lindelof and what parts of the movie are very Abrams, but they work very well together, I think. And I I think that movie had just enough of the Abrams intrigue without any follow through and uh, Lindelof's very good read on how human behavior works and Mm -hmm. the things, the ways in which people are selfish. Yeah, Lindelof, I'm really fascinated by him as a storyteller. I've only watched The Leftovers. I have Good not show. watched Lost, even though I'm intrigued because so many people that I respect really love that show. And so I'm curious if it still stands up or if I wouldn't like it. But yeah, The Leftovers is so much about really like good. how humans interact and like framing belief and all this other like very kind of high concept stuff that I think in the hands of anyone else, it would be so difficult to, like, you know, sell the idea of, like, how grief can eat someone. Yeah. Like, it's very easy to depict something very cliche, like, you know, you look sad, you're wearing all black, you're depressed and don't do the things that you used to do, or you lash out to, on people. But, like, his depiction of these ideas are just, like, so nuanced and complex. So I feel like now maybe I I should just go back and, and watch... Cloverfield too, because the the first Cloverfield yeah. out of Cloverfield, curiosity, comma as well. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I I didn't know he was involved in it. Yeah, I mean I it's uh, not a perfect movie. If you have a problem with fan footage stuff, it did make a lot of people super nauseous in mm. theaters. Uh, you might find it frustrating. I remember when I was watching it, my brother had just moved to New York, uh, where he lived for a couple of years after college, and they're coming out of some cu- subway station. And they're saying the name of the station over and over again because they're like, it's the station, it's the station. My brother looked at me with such such frustration in his eyes and said, that is absolutely 100% not that station. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, New Yorkers are fucking crazy. (laughs) Um, But it was sort of, I think, the most honest movie about 9-11 or about how most of the country reacted to 9-11 with just fear and paranoia and having no idea how to react in the face of tragedy. Um, You know, Lizzie Kaplan's in it. Again, I think she's a very funny, great actress. You might get really annoyed at the, like, the framing device, which is about to uh, a business guy who's moving to a high-powered job in Japan, except, oh, no, his ex-girlfriend, he's still in love with her, and... She doesn't want to see him go, even though she's not seeing him anymore. And it, it takes like a good 20 minutes to set that up. And people found that very irritating. Mm. I didn't think it was that bad because it was compe- it was a compelling drama, mm-hmm. at least. It's something you'd see in a soap opera and right, people watch right. those for a reason. Uh, so, but yeah, it's got some good shots. You know what? Like, even though I don't know that I would recommend most people watch the latest Cloverfield movie, I'm still really excited for the actual movie that's coming out in theaters, which apparently is happening sometime, sometime this year. Yeah. yeah, Overlord, it's called. It's set mm-hmm. in world during World War II, which uh, really intrigues me. 
entirely male cast, which I guess I understand because of the setting, but it, that intrigued me less. Mm-hmm. Um, still, I'm very interested to see how a, a Cloverfield movie works as a period piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about um, American soldiers discover that the Nazis are fighting how are using supernatural means to fight them. So mm. that sounds kind of dope. <laughs> yeah, I'm also just kind of interested in Cloverfield as a ser- as this like weird uh, movie version of like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, like an anthology series. I think that that is a very interesting thing for this to become. And a lot of it does have to do with J.J. Abrams' fondness for marketing gimmicks. So the Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane it was not originally a Cloverfield film and they brought it into the canon and they just kind of announced at Comic-Con, oh yeah, it's wrapped shooting and it's going to come out in four months, mm-hmm. by the way. What's uh, what's the marketing gimmick for the mo- next movie movie? I mean, again, nobody knows what it is um, and nobody knows when it's going to come out. I, guess I maybe, assume what if, it's going to just be one of those. What if it just comes out without a trailer? What it's if it comes the out like now. tomorrow? What yeah. if I personally get a Blu-ray DVD email like <laughs> mailed to me by J.J. Abrams? What if J.J. Abrams comes to your house <laughs> through the window and like puts the DVD in your PS4 and it's just waiting for you on your couch? What if you're filling up your car at the gas station and someone puts, you know, a bag over your head and you're screaming and you're crying and then you you wake up an hour later in a chair and you're strapped to it and it's J.J. Abrams and he's there <laughs> and he's like, you're going to watch Overlord right now. And you're like, I don't want to, J.J. I don't want to. And he's like, you're going to. You're going to. And only one person watches the movie and they have to tell everyone else about it. And it's like you. It's like this mystery of like, does it exist? <laughs> only this one crazy person says they bought, they were kidnapped by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> if someone emailed me tomorrow and was like, I was kidnapped by J.J. Abrams and he made me watch Overlord, I was like, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> that sounds real. That that checks out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, we uh, I guess people have as much anticipation for that actually movie uh, as sort of what the weird lead up to it will be. Mm-hmm. Nothing, though, will be ever be as bold as attaching a one minute trailer to one of the biggest movies that year and not putting the name of your movie on it. That is just such a baller move, and I really have respect for that. I'm kind of shocked that there's that he hasn't tried just, like, releasing it on piracy websites and just, like, not bypassing Someone all check the, the torrents yeah. now for Overlord 2018. Yeah, what if it's out there already? That would be actually very dope. And I then, would be into that. <laughs> I think that's the one last frontier for him. Mm-hmm. He's already. I've seen some people saying that Netflix's acquisition of these movies that were meant to be uh, Cloverfield Paradox was meant to be a Paramount release, and then they Netflix bought it for fifty million. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are saying this isn't like Netflix is spinning this as some sort of prestige event, but this is Netflix just picking up a direct-to-DVD movie, and mm-hmm. it definitely feels like a direct-to-DVD movie. Yeah, you know um, what? It's been interesting because, like, that was such a... That used to be such a thing in the blockbuster era, and you got to think the quality of, like, direct-to-DVD movies must still exist, but, like, where do they go? Is, yeah. that, just the ne- is that just Netflix now? I mean, I'm not mad about it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm less... I think they're more interesting movies than a lot of actual direct-to-DVD movies. Mm-hmm. Um... I feel like we should be more realistic about what these movies are. Mm-hmm. And this isn't Netflix as a movie studio. This is Netflix picking off cast-offs from studio, like, yeah. big studios. And I mean, Netflix does do prestige stuff, but I feel like the bulk of what I watch on it is like 
designed in such a way that it's like inherently vapid because it's meant for you to kind of binge watch it like yeah. it's more about like the hook of you continuing to watch the thing like yeah. this was the case when i watched the oa like looking back i don't know that i would say the oa is good but it's certainly good at at least getting you being like what the like yeah what the, the last fuck is five this? minutes there's always an enormous twist in that show and you're like mad because you're like i don't I, even want to watch this but i don't want to watch it but i want to <laughs> know what happens and it's like it's not good it's just very good at like I heard the you same along. thing about Altered Carbon, which immediately got suggested to me as soon as I finished the Clover the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, yeah. Eric so you, from, you watched it? I didn't. I oh. turned it off because I was like, it's two in the morning. But uh, Eric from Bikini Compete told me he finished. What he said specifically, Eric Van Allen, bless your heart, mm-hmm. was, yeah, I finished the Altered Carbon. Don't know why I did, though. <laughs> well, that's. I feel like that's such an interesting compulsion because like, they don't have a... I don't feel like they have a mandate to make good stuff because you think about how you use Netflix, you might just turn it on in the background while yeah. you're doing like a chore or you like yeah. just to pass the time Lord when you're bored. knows how many weird television shows I put on in the background because they are human being talking that are just on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I watched Zumbo's Just Desserts for like a day while I was trying to write something. <laughs> this weird, really weird Australian reality show, reality baking show. And the amount of times those Australians say Zumbo is like a very intense. He's a very famous Australian baker, apparently. But mm-hmm. I mean, Zumbo. His name's Zumbo. Mm-hmm. So, Much love to Australians. <laughs> so I think Cloverfield kind of uh, is in that same space where it's like it doesn't have to be good, but it because so much just like weird shit happens in it, you you kind of just strap on for the ride to like figure out where it's going to go or where it's going to end. But yeah, Netflix, I feel like, is just this thing that I watch when I don't really want to think about anything. Yeah, it's really remarkable to me that they haven't acquired all of America's Next Top Model because that is the purpose it serves in my life. (laughs) It's just like to be on, just to be on. Mm -hmm. I really don't actually like having background noise all day long. Uh, I usually put on music if I'm going to have background noise rather than like watch TV or listen to a podcast. But... I do understand that, like, sometimes, especially if I'm sit and I'm on the couch writing, mm-hmm. like, that's a big thing for me. If I'm sitting on the couch writing, I will turn on the television and just let it go. And I think that's a, a very modern thing that Netflix really understands, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for better or for worse. It's kind of like how you start off watching something on YouTube and, like, an hour later, you're like, I don't understand how I got from that point to oh this God. point. So... This is such a this is such a tangible keep it brief. There's okay. this YouTube channel called Look Mom No Computer, which is just this very hyperactive 26-year-old from Brighton who makes all of his own synthesizers and tells you how. And he makes this ridiculous shit. He made a th- flamethrower organ. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I me and my friends got sucked into a hole watching these guys. He made a, a bike uh, that was also a synthesizer, a BMX bike that's also a synthesizer. Of course. Um, and yeah, he'll just show you how he did all this shit. He made an oscillator, a, a, an oscillating synth with a hundred different oscillators in it. Wow. It's, yeah. It's, and it's just like. So wait, how did you find out about the, this? Well, my pet? friend Sean actually is totally obsessed with synthesizers. He um, comes over to our house to watch 
the Waco miniseries with us and then brings us wine and talks about synthesizers afterward. <laughs> we just listened like to a talent disco. framing this as like a thing that happens to you. Someone just... <laughs> I mean, so often I wake, I get back from work and my roommate is like, oh, Sean's coming over. We're going to watch Waco. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I like Sean. I like Waco. Um, and then, yeah, we just put on a talent disco and then he can name every synthesizer that's in all of those videos because he's a freak of nature. Um... And so he was looking for, like, actual schematics on how to build something that Look Mom No Computer had built. And he stumbled on one of these videos and was like, this man's insane. I love him. (laughs) And I now also love him. Anyone who makes a synth bike, really, that's impressive. It's a way to your heart. (laughs) Yeah. Just make me a synth bike. Then we can talk. So for our second topic, you wanted to discuss a little bit about when games... uh, kind of spark you into taking up something new. Yeah. Um, or at least or- urge me to do something in my own personal life. I had been playing um, Battle Chef. Big, big, ugh, God, what the name of that game is. Very Battle Chef Brigade? Brigade. Yeah. Why is that word so hard? Battle Chef Brigade. There so we it's go. It's a lot of bees. It's a lot of bees. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of bees. Um, so I've been doing Battle Chef Brigade, and I in that game you play as uh, a magic you know, knight who fights all these beasts, these sci- these like fantasy beasts and uses the things that they fought and killed as ingredients in like an Iron Chef style cook off. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really liked about this game is that all of the illustrations of food look incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're really, really pretty. It's like the, you know how like anime food always looks amazing? I was just thinking about that. When, yeah. yeah, when people share gifts and it's like, doesn't this make you hungry? And I'm like, yeah, it does. Yeah. Just like anime illustrations of eggs or like ramen, anime illustrations of ramen. I mean, to be fair, so when I'm in America, I don't, you know, I'll eat eggs when I'm hungover most of the time, but I don't really eat eggs that often. But when I'm in Japan, like... Even just getting literally uh, hard-boiled eggs from 7-Eleven are so incredible. They taste different. Yeah, they, I don't know what it is. They have a different actual sort of process for eggs. Uh, they're, they're fresher, I think, is oh, yeah. the number one thing. I know that the yolks are, di- are different yeah, color they, they, because they are like fresher. darker orange. Yeah, yeah, it's a higher fat content. Hmm. Um, and I think it has to do with how they treat the chickens but yeah i would literally go and just buy an egg every day that, that i was amazing. in japan but sorry keep on yeah um i'm hungry now uh, <laughs> i was already thinking about getting ramen and bubble tea and now i think i'm definitely getting ramen and bubble tea for mm-hmm. dinner um and it made me just really want to cook all this stuff especially i just got an instant pot for christmas uh my dad got it for me thanks dad shout outs to dad and you can make like soup dumplings in there. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, I'm going to get like one of those little steamer, you know, those straw little steamer things and think I'm going to try to make soup dumplings. Ooh. Every time I play this game, I just really am motivated to try new recipes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just was wondering, like, I don't know. I I feel like that isn't necessarily new for me, but it, it was never so pronounced as it was when I played Battle Chef Brigade. Mm-hmm. So I've never had an instance, I don't think, of, like, a game making me want to do stuff. It's just more like there will be times when I'm like, I want to do this because I'm playing in, in a game. Like, I think the number one thing is always, like, I should learn Japanese. Like that's, <laughs> And I'm going to say this to myself every year until, like, maybe one uh, one year it becomes a, like, resolution and I finally fucking do it because then I can, I don't know, watch anime or, like, 
get video game news early or yeah. whatever. Like it, it's useful in my job, but like one of the, one of these days. Yeah, I I think a lot of the time, sometimes games make me feel like I want to be more athletic because mm-hmm. you spend so much time parkouring in like most games. That's another one where it's like, I kind of want to learn this. And then I'm like, Patricia, you're never going to learn how to do parkour. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're getting, you're never going to rock climb. Yeah. 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 Actually, I mean, New York City wouldn't be bad for parkour. Just very dangerous. So I guess don't do it. <laughs> I'm scared of everything in New York City. It's just so, I don't, I feel like most people who learn how to do it must live in like cities that aren't quite as bustling as this one. It seems like a Bay Area uh, mm. hobby, you know? I just imagine New Yorkers yelling at you for like, yep. <laughs> for like parkouring I, mean, I absolutely can't imagine that. I can imagine being so aggressively disdained by other New Yorkers. You ever watch? Today I got mad. I slipped. It was snowing a little bit today when I was walking to work and I slipped and fell and, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I just got up afterward. It's just if you knew those. how to parkour, you wouldn't have slipped and fallen. <laughs> I got mad at someone today, though. He looked me in the eyes and gave me a concerned look. And I was, like, upset that he did that because the New Yorkers don't look each other in the eyes. <laughs> so it was, like, an insult that he cared? <laughs> yeah, it was. Weirdly, I was insulted. I was like, oh, you don't think I can handle myself? Get out of here. Oh, my God. It's so... Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that gets me about living here that I keep thinking, like, am I going to grow old here? Because I never see, like, old people out on on the uh trains i know they exist yeah um, you move upstate or you move to okay. westchester that's what I you just do imagine how grueling it is to like try to like elbow your way in oh into the God. fucking train or like walk fast enough so yeah, that people parents, don't hate you on the street that's true people get so i have one time at right outside of the office which is uh, over by newton square it's like a very busy part of new york i did get mad because three a family of tourists were standing in the middle of that crosswalk where you walk towards Union Square, they were standing in the middle of it to try to get a picture of the sunset. And I was like, I need to walk. I hate that. When people aren't aware of how much space they're taking, or they're, they're just standing yeah. in like the middle of a thing. Yeah, you know, New just York sidewalks are very narrow. You cannot ever walk three abreast. Don't do it. People do it all the time. I, I don't understand. Just and it's and then they get. I, I have all these situations where like four people are walking in a certain direction, and I can kind of tell that me walking in the opposite direction is like kind of annoying them because yeah. like one of them has to move, and I'm like, "What the? F- did you not expect anyone to walk in the opposite one direction time of the in thing?" Brooklyn, this girl, I was wearing this like very cool, actually like a weird shawl with armholes in it, and I felt really hot. Mm-hmm. And this lady steps on it, like steps all the way up it, and makes me fall and doesn't say anything to me. And like, well, what I know- if what if she was like, "She's a real New Yorker; she can handle it." <laughs> <laughs> I've just understood the catch twenty two of being a New Yorker on the street. You can't you can't apologize when you fuck up incredibly badly. <laughs> she like stepped all the way up me. It was like egregious. <laughs> it was very intense. Um but yeah, I mean, it is sort of prohibitive trying to learn. Like, when I played Zelda, I also wanted to cook a lot because the food in that game looks really amazing. But it was also like wouldn't it be cool if I could rock climb? 
It would be yeah. cool if I could do that. I mean, okay, so I kind of had the same feeling with Zelda, but the thing is, my cooking would never match the Zelda thing because I feel like the large part of the appeal is the the whole like yeah. song and dance of it that it's just like the ingredients are bouncing and like yep. his reaction Link's, like mystified expression every single time yeah or like uh for those of you who are playing monster hunter world i adore the cutscene that plays when you because you have to like cook something before you got hunting and it gives you like a uh, bonuses stat bonuses but uh in this game uh the palicos which are really just cats the cute cats cook the stuff for you oh and it's God. just like so lavish and they're having so much fun making it oh, that's out of control. but it's like okay the food looks good and i acknowledge that and it's delicious and i'm sure i would enjoy it but me cooking it wouldn't be the same as like all these tiny cats <laughs> making it for me in like a giant delight ori is never gonna cook your food yeah, for you no she's just gonna eat it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there is something i mean i find something weirdly satisfying about most video game crafting systems especially ones that have to do with food mm-hmm. um i always got really fascinated by the weird foods in dishonored mm-hmm. um and i also oh, want to make so a lot of those gross, they're so they? nasty looking is that just like a european thing it like... seems like a cruel mockery of british foods <laughs> which i mean british people have weird foods mm-hmm. um yeah, I just remember things like canned like eel or something, yeah. or like canned fish or something. Yeah, there's like a bunch of like canned seafood things yeah. and a lot of like treacle tart stuff, like very sickly sweet desserts. Um, and then the bread you find is also really weird and dense. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the some of the desserts do look good. They had like fruit tarts and fruit pies that looked really mm-hmm. tasty, but some yeah. of it, most of the like common people food is like canned eels and like weird preserved parts of animals that mm-hmm. you don't normally eat. Gross, gross. Yeah. Most video well, games Well, now I don't want to eat anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not hungry anymore. I <laughs> talked myself out of having ramen and bubble tea. <laughs> so, I guess third topic, that yeah. was kind of like our mini topic. Uh, you wanted to talk about Shadow of the Colossus, right? Yes, which I have not yet played, but want, I'm going to start tonight. But part mm-hmm. of it is because... Tonight, I'm going to finally have time to play it. And also, there's been this ongoing conversation about this remake that I find this argument to be a little bit silly, but I understand where it's coming from. There's it's, just, like, this anxiety around it, yeah, right? There's, like, uh, an anxiety is a very good word for it. It's the idea that maybe by remaking this beloved game, not just remastering it, but remaking it wholesale, we've We've undone some of the magic of the original Shadow of the Colossus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played Shadow of the Colossus on PS2. I wasn't that good at it. I didn't beat it, but I did play it because I wanted to have the experience of it. And when I, you know, when at the time, there was only the original PS2 version. I got a copy at like a blockbuster, you know, going out of business sale. And I had my brother's PS2, so I sat down and played it. And... uh it did feel cool that how much they could achieve in that original game engine mm-hmm. on um, a technology that was so busted. Yeah, I saw someone now in 2018, like an animator being like, he was showing, I think, the wireframes of the animations. And he's like, for this time and age, all of the complex animations that they made were like so above and beyond, like kind of what you could expect from games of that era. And never mind, obviously the design stuff that was like so inspired and so like clearly the result of like a specific vision like here's an open world game in which 
you don't have a million things to do. You only have one goal, and that's yeah. to kill all the things, kill all the colossi, and you then, through the uh, progress of playing it, you kind of figure out that at first you think you're doing the right thing. You're trying to, like, uh, you're trying to revive uh, your, your sister, your girlfriend, your girlfriend, your girlfriend, and then you you kind of realize that, like, these colossi aren't enemies. They're just kind of trying to live their life and you're kind of evil for killing them and you like and so there's you know it's kind of gone down as this game that's like in the video game canon as like a complete masterpiece or whatever and the thing with the remake is it's not just that they've updated the visuals although I think there's some contention around that too because it's like there's something there was something there's magical. something about when they removed some fog in some areas. I don't know for Or that sure. just the fact that there's more detail and you can more clearly understand what things look like takes away some of the mystique of like... Because yeah. like when you play older games and they have to kind of make sacrifices because they can't make something realistic, uh, you have to bring in more, yeah. right? Like you have to use more of your imagination. And through that, a thing kind of becomes imbued with more magic, right? Like you... Uh, Mario isn't just Mario, right? Yeah. Like you look at these very simple like pixel graphics or whatever and and even though they're simple, the the very specific choices that they make may bring them to life in a way that like something realistic couldn't be, right? Yeah. Like there's a reason that we don't have a hyper realistic like 25-year-old Mario that where you can like tell every one of his wrinkles. Like yeah. there's something preserved in the fact that there's less detail to him and more yeah. cartoonish so aside from the graphical stuff i think some of the anxiety is that like it's not just even a straight up remake they've added other stuff to it like i know yeah. that there's like an easter egg to the what, what was the game before this by the by the same director Eco. no no no. after that oh uh, um guardian's the yes. last guardian yes the last guardian there's i was like, about to say of the galaxy but it was <laughs> not that uh so there's like a reference to that game in there in a, in a thing that didn't exist yeah and now i know heather wrote about uh there's these, coins yeah in the game the magical players coins. don't know what they do because they were not in the original game and so you know the game hasn't been out for that long so it's entirely possible there are other easter eggs and other things that people haven't found so there's kind of this sense of like why are you changing or adding or altering this thing is already widely considered a masterpiece yeah it's sort of like i guess what i would compare it to i think the only comparison i can make to other art is um the original michael hanukkah version of funny games was produced in austria with austrian and french actors and then they he remade it a couple of years later in English using American money with like Michael Roth and oh, but the same person the remade same it. Same person remade it. Huh. And it's a shot for shot remake. It is nearly identical. That's really interesting from like an artistic perspective of yeah. like did it come across as like him trying to fix his mistakes cuz like the I think the thing with the game is a little different in that it was remade by a different team kind yeah. of trying to interpret the the uh, intentions of the original team and because it's still sony i'm sure there were some like i'm sure they had they some sort of like bible to use or to like make sure. they probably had access to some of the people but there's yeah. still this element of like translation right yeah. versus like the example that you're bringing yeah. up it's the same person the same exact person yeah. i mean but working with uh, the reason why he made out ma- remade it funny games is this it's a it's a whole thing. It's like a fourth wall breaking horror movie that 
I really liked the first time I watched it. I haven't watched it for years because it's like very disturbing. Um, and also, I don't know, it might just not be as good as I remember it. It's just something I'm afraid of also, which I think might actually be some of the anxiety about the Shadowless Colossus thing too. Mm-hmm. Is what if you play it and compare it, have to compare it to modern games and it's not as good as you remember it being. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the reason you made it is because uh, not a lot of people had seen the Austrian version. And he right. wanted people to see it. Like, it was a movie that had a very distinct and aggressive message about violence in the media. And he wanted the English-speaking world to be able to experience it. So he mm-hmm. got Michael Roth and Naomi Watts, and he remade it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as good, but he also, like, you can tell he had a lot more money, and he was able to sort of push uh, the cinematography wasn't all that different but it was a lot cleaner and sharper and he had better equipment and you know he's working with you know Michael Pitt all these like great actors uh, they were giving it sort of really acting the hell out of it mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's interesting to see you know mm-hmm. it is again I mean the same creative force behind it mm-hmm. but i think it had a lot of the same motivations i mean i think the reason i get a cynical a lot of, about a lot of capitalism things mm-hmm. you know me you work in the same mm-hmm. office with me but I, it's hard for me to get cynical about accessibility of games right mm-hmm. it's, yeah because you got to think like okay quote unquote everyone knows that this game is a masterpiece but also like there have been Two, like now we're two generations yeah. away from that era like more than ever before people aren't keeping discs yeah. right and so like you have these new generation of gamers who are not going to have a ps2 and you know? i'm lucky that my older brother never sold his ps2 mm-hmm. that's the only reason i was able to play the first one and was like picking up a used copy of the game at a place where they did not know how much money it was worth mm-hmm. and then also already having a ps2 you can pick them up pretty cheap if you know where to get them but like most of the time people aren't thinking oh i need to have a playstation 2 so i can play all these classic games and i guess this particular example becomes weird because they did remaster it right like wasn't there another version of that came out not too long ago and then it was kind of weird for them to announce hey here's an entirely new like remake remake of it and i think also yeah what the whole capitalistic thing i i think is on the forefront of a lot of uh people's minds because there's kind of this narrative I think that uh, video game companies are only out to squeeze as much money out from the consumer. And so now you have all these games that are kind of being re-released or like remastered or Mm -hmm. remade. And it's just this constant, constant thing. And it's not wrong. Some of those do seem like money grabs, especially when they're done cheaply and poorly. I remember Mm -hmm. the Silent Hill collection for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Absolute shit. It was mm-hmm. a very, very bad remaster. And it seemed like they were just trying to get people to buy something that said mm-hmm. Silent Hill on it. I'm trying to think, like, is this as much of a problem in, in other industries? Like, I know that they re-release movies with, like, more extras, right? But there, I, I feel like I... I mean, maybe the it's music because industry, I feel oh, yeah. like, is... I mean, especially with uh, vinyl versions, vinyl re-releases of old albums, they... Uh, you can see you'll see a lot of vinyl people saying that they just don't sound as good because they're not the audio is mastered differently and it just doesn't sound as good. But it does. That's not even the issue. It's just like we're ma- we're we're releasing Abbey Road for like the six billionth time in a different format. Mm-hmm. You don't need all of those, and it's mm-hmm. it's just about trying to get money off of the Beatles' date. 
you yeah. know, like it's that's that's all it is about. Um, you don't need bangers by Miley Silas on vinyl, and yet it exists on vinyl. Why not? I guess they gotta sell something at Urban Outfitters. I feel like people talk about vinyl more so than I know people who actually own vinyl. Do you own a vinyl? I yeah, don't. I'm a huge asshole, so <laughs> I have a record player and I have like a not a not insignificant vinyl collection. What was the last vinyl that you bought? I got the Piss Jeems album, Why Love Now. I actually got that pretty recently because I was like, this album is good enough that I actually want to have it on vinyl. And that reminds me, I want to pick up Anna Birch's debut album on vinyl also. So my next question great. is, how often do you use your vinyl? I think about once a month, I make a cup of tea and no one's in the apartment and I lay down on the couch and I put a record on and read a book. When I lived alone, honestly, I use it all the fucking time. Oh, yeah. I had some really, I have some really good records. I've got uh, the Go-Go's, that, the one, you know, we got the beat that went that on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I got uh, Al- the Elvis Costello with Allison on it. I've got an alternate cover version of the Japan album, The Art of Parties, which is very good. Uh, when I lived alone, I always listened to music like pretty much all of the time. So I was mm-hmm. always using my record player. Now that I live with other people, it's harder. Yeah. But- so vinyl has always been one of those things for me where I'm like, I kind of want it, but I feel like... In my heart of hearts, I know that I would buy it, and I'm sure I would buy m- many different albums, but then I probably wouldn't use it all that much. When I think it's my big yeah. yeah. What's something super obnoxious too? In the music industry, it's not even vinyl that's hot anymore. All the like is it cool, cassettes now? All the cool indie artists are putting their shit out on cassette oh because it's so cheap. Yeah. Cassette is just so cheap to produce. So now it's like not even cool to have vinyl. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's something inherently cooler about like cassettes. Like you look at something like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the whole like thing it's, where he has his, his yeah. cassette and whatever. And it's like more portable and like the Walkman kind of looks. Yeah. The old ass Walkmans look cool and stuff. So. Yeah, they do look really cool. Those old 70s Walkman with the, the fake wood, you know, texture on it. <sighs> I <laughs> like so I've annoyed. talked myself out of getting an old shitty boombox to hook up to my speakers so many times and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get a cassette console because I just can't allow myself to. Like, how do you even display cassettes? What do you store them in? Like a shoebox? Because that's what I stored them in when I was a kid. No, I can see. You can just line line them up. Oh, my God. I don't even want to think about the logistics of this because it's just going to be another road. I go down. (laughs) I'm buying everything on cassette. Yeah, next episode, Gita, tell us about your cassette collection. Oh, my God. Uh, They're so cheap. I mean, that's like the main reason. And that was... Actually, vinyl for a long time. But then why is there a craze around it? Like, they do they not upsell them? No. I mean, a part of it just is vinyl for independent artists, especially. Extremely, extremely expensive to produce. Um, And because it's gotten more popular, it's only gotten more expensive to produce. And, you know, artists are waiting longer for their records to get back from the plants. So if you want to actually just get something out quickly on a format that people can listen to cassettes are the way to go at this point it's easy to print stuff to cassette Hmm. and the cassette industry has actually been pretty i think stronger than the vinyl industry was when it had a resurgence because um of prisons Mm -hmm. you can only get books on cassette in prison if you're listening to books on tape so sorry that uh shout out the classes i don't don't understand the i feel like it's the kind of this haughty kind of critics critic-led thing where it's like i don't want my baby to be like 
I messed with. Understand it, I think. I understand I I think the idea of, of like losing the magic of something by remaking it, like remaking it wholesale instead of just remastering it. I understand feeling like that infringes on that art, but I also feel like video games are a special case where for the most part you can watch you have a lot more access to movies, even movies where the prints are partially gone. And you have a lot more access to music and you have a lot of access to art like pretty much everywhere. There's very few things that you can't actually, that aren't on display for the public to see. Um, But with video games, it is a time and money commitment Mm -hmm. that makes it much more difficult. I'm not going to tell a 14-year-old that really wants to understand why games are good to go buy a PlayStation 2 and play this game with really difficult, clumsy controls just Mm -hmm. because it's a classic. You're only going to get that kid into it if it's out on the latest console in a format that they have access to. Mm -hmm. It's just about access. And I know, yeah, they already did a remaster, but... Let's be real, you know, it's... For me, it's just like, okay, if I honestly think that a new version is going to kill the magic, then it's like, well, I'm not going to play it. Yeah. Like, I don't uh, object... You have a choice here, also. Yeah, I'm not going to object to existing. Like, I I don't think that it's, like, so sacred that it can't exist. I'm just not going to play it. Like, it's yeah. simple. Yeah, I mean, I do think it... I think getting mad at people for not having the same uh, value judgments about art as you do is a little bit silly. I used to get mad about other people's taste in everything, but then I was like, wait, that doesn't actually prevent me from liking things or disliking things if someone else has a different opinion. And I I do, I guess, get fearful of, I used to, I guess, get fearful of people liking things the wrong way or for the wrong reasons. But I think all that really matters is that people like things genuinely and have an enthusiasm for things. I'm not I'm not going to be the person that tells people, tells someone that's playing the Shadow of the Colossus for the first time because of the remake. That they're playing the wrong version or something? Yeah, exactly. That's just not who I'm going to be. So I think that is a good place to end that conversation. It's a very good episode and a very nice chat, Patricia. <laughs> um, so you can find us on Twitter at our work on Kotaku. You can email us at favethis at kotaku.com or tweet at us uh, with the hashtag favethis and we will read those tweets. I want to thank you to um, Montana Mofidi, the executive director of audio, Levi Sharp, who got to set us up in the booth. Um, Mellow Makes, who makes our themes music and Stuart Wood, who does the music for our commercials. Um, you, and that is all the things I have to say at the end of the episode. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for listening next week. Bye.